Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Daniel, chapter 5. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Now, Belshazzar is trying to impress his political leaders and his friends showing off, he's drunk, not thinking straight, and he takes those holy vessels. Now, here's where the straw breaks the camel's back. He takes those holy vessels and he puts wine in them, and they start drinking and toasting and giving them to the prostitutes and the concubines and the wives and the women, and they just start partying. This was Belshazzar's way of boasting of his wealth and boasting of his strength. You see, you know, I was reading a report, and matter of fact, I was pretty alarmed to find this out, that talking about drinking, that uh, Americans spend $33 billion on alcohol a year. That's a lot of money. And, and, one out of, and, and for every one heroin addict, there are 15 alcoholics in this country. Did you even know that? No, you probably wouldn't, because a heroin addict, oh my God. Uh, you're on heroin? Oh, no, but, but, but you, you have to have, you know, martini after work every day. Oh, but you're on heroin? For every one heroin addict in this country, there are 15 alcoholics. I find that interesting. Well, they take the wine. They take the alcohol. They pour it in the cups. They drank it, enjoying themselves. When all of a sudden, in verse 5, look at it, in the same hour, the finger of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, And then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees began to knock. Are you guys picturing this? I mean, this is a trip. Belshazzar is partying. He's drinking. He's toasting. He's yucking it up with his friends. They're probably you know, they're they getting their boogie on or whatever. You know, they're probably doing the Macarena or something. You know, they like, you know, you know, doing, a, you know doing the Macarena when all of a sudden God shows up and spoils the party. Nebuchadnezzar is probably right in the middle of Macarena. He looks across the room. He sees a finger writing in the plaster of the wall. And all of a sudden, he's not drunk anymore. Wow, this is the quickest sober upper you ever seen. All of a sudden, he's not drunk anymore. He's sober. And not only did he get sober, but he got scared. He got so scared, the joints of his hips were loosened. Now, 
All right, Lord, help me to say this the best way possible. Okay, can we say K.O. Peptate? That'd probably be the nicest way to say it on CD. All right? In other words, we'll just go on, all right? If you know what I mean, say amen. amen. Okay, good. Not only that, but then his knees began to knock together. I'm talking, I'm talking scared here. This guy is scared. I mean, he's so scared. He's just like, ah! He just freaked out and just lost everything and knees knocking and he, he, he lost it. I mean, you ever been so scared like you just lose it? Like, you know, I've been so scared. Somebody that come up on me and scare me like that. I just, I, I just hit him all of a sudden. I just, bam! He's like, oh, I'm so sorry, mom. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, man, son. Oh, mom, you scared me. I can't. You know, you have to get so scared, you just lose it. I mean, you lose it. And this is what happened. He really lost it. <laughs> and he's scared. And, and that really should scare him. I mean, it would scare anyone. Now, get this. The Bible says, talking about Nebuchadnezzar, or talking about Belshazzar, he saw the handwriting on the wall, and he started to shake You know what this did? This brought me to Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. Matter of fact, just go ahead and put your finger right here in Daniel and turn there real quick. You know it's the last book of the Bible. You know it's the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter, notice this here, chapter 6. Because this is a a good verse. Let me get there real quick. I can't seem to get there myself. Revelation chapter 6. Look at this here. All right. All right, look, it's on page... 1092. There you go. Okay. Look at Revelation chapter 6. I thought of this, talking about, talking about the handwriting on the wall. He began to shake. The Bible says unbelievers one day will stand before God, and you know what's going to happen? They're going to shake. Look at verse 16. And the kings of the earth. Notice in verse 16. Verse 15. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, we're talking about in the tribulation time now, fall on us and hide us from the face of one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. The Bible is very, very clear. Unbelievers one day will stand before God and they will shake and tremble. They mock now, but they'll shake and they'll tremble before the wrath of the Lamb. A paradox. A paradox. The wrath of the Lamb. When is the last time you've seen a sign that said, Beware of Lamb? Hmm. Things that make you go, Hmm, that's a paradox. The wrath, when's the last time you've seen a growling lamb? You know, like Lambo or something. I mean, when's when's the last time you've seen this? This is a paradox. This is one of those paradoxes in the Bible that's clear. The people are going to shake before the wrath of the lamb. And here we have, flip back, Belshazzar. He is shaking and he's afraid because God has come 
to judge him. And God shows up, notice, with his finger. It's the finger of God. Now, two times in the Bible, you will see two times, two ways in which you see the finger of God in the Bible. Listen, number one, in judgment. Number two, in grace. Number one, in judgment. What do you mean, Rodney? Exodus chapter eight. Go read that in your own time. God told Abraham to stretch out his staff and to strike the dust. You probably know the story. And there were gnats on man and beast and all the dust of the earth became gnats. And, and, the, and the magicians tried to do the same thing. They tried to copy God's miracle, but they couldn't. And they said to the Pharaoh, they said, this is the finger of God in judgment. And we see the finger of God in grace. Where do you find that? Not Exodus, okay, Exodus 8, the finger of God in judgment. John chapter 8, the finger of God in grace. Remember the woman, we have the adulterous woman. She's accused of being caught in the very act of adultery. And when they caught a woman in the act of adultery, listen at this, they would bring this woman to the priest naked in the condition that they found her. And she was ordered, did you know? She was ordered to stand in three feet high of manure and they would stone that woman there and they would bury her and they would plant a tree over her for adultery. I was thinking if they were to do this in America today, all of the United States would be forest land. (laughs) Oh, that's another sermon, (laughs) y'all. And so they plant a tree over her. And, and remember, remember they bought, they bought this woman because they were trying to track. Remember the scribes and the Pharisees, we've been talking about them. And they bought this woman to Jesus. And Jesus is standing there and everyone has a rock in their hand. And Jesus stooped down and he pointed the finger of God to the ground. And he began to write in the dirt. And we don't know what Jesus was writing But perhaps he started writing the sins of these Jewish men. Maybe he wrote their name, Yentl, lusted after a woman at Minimart or something. You know, stalked her for another three years. And then Shlemiel. I'm thinking of Jewish names here, all right? (laughs) Ripped off your old dear grandmother's social security check. And many others of these guys, maybe one of them was actually with this woman. And maybe he wrote that. We don't know what he wrote, but we could hear the rocks that they had to stone her. They just dropped, boom, 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 boom. And they walk away. And Jesus looked at the woman and he said, woman, he says, where are your accusers? And she said, they're not here, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn thee. Then go away and sin no more. And I'm sure, I'm confident, that woman became a born-again believer. Why? Because she experienced the finger of God in grace. Watch how you point your finger at people. How about pointing your finger at people in grace instead of... You know, 
And Jesus is loved on this woman two times. And so the king in our story, the king, he just cried out. And he said, bring the astrologers. He was so upset. He didn't know what to think. He said, bring the astrologers, bring the soothsayers, bring the Chaldeans, bring the undertaker, bring somebody, bring anybody. And the king said, whoever can read this and give me the interpretation. Notice, I don't even know, did we read that part yet? Look, oh no, look at verse seven. I got to read that and then I'll tell you what it means. <laughs> there in verse seven, if you're there, say amen. Well, the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers. See, that, I was right. And the, and the king spoke saying, saying to, to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me the interpretation shall be clothed in purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and he shall be man he's going to give him the bling bling i like that <laughs> that's kind of nice and uh he shall be and, and hey nice clothes purple robe royalty colors nice stuff and he shall be the third circle that the third ruler in the kingdom now all the king's wise men came but they couldn't read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed and his lords were astonished. And so the king said, whoever can read this and give me the interpretation, I will give him a royal robe and third place in the kingdom. Now, remember, the real king is Nebuchadnezzar. Remember that? And his son is Belshazzar, who is second in charge in the kingdom. So what Belshazzar is offering, the person who is able to give the interpretation, is the best that he can give, the third place in the kingdom. And I'm amazed here that Belshazzar, although he knows of God, of course he does. I am amazed that he doesn't like his grandpa, Nebuchadnezzar, call on Daniel. Instead, he calls on a bunch of atheists astrologers and magicians and soothsayers, a bunch of atheists. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 14, verse 1, it says, The fool has said in his heart, what, saints? There is no God. Do you know the Bible is very clear? If a person says there is no God, they are a fool. Now, I'm not calling you a fool. I'm not calling your friends a fool, your family a fool. I'm telling you the Bible says they are a fool. You're a fool if you say there is no God. You're a fool. People who claim to be atheists, which I, 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 I've never met an atheist, quite honestly. I don't believe in them. I, I really don't. Atheists don't believe in God, and I don't believe in them. Now, I don't believe in God, so I don't believe in you. <laughs> nah. An atheist. An atheist, what does it mean? A means without. Take a note. A means without. Theist means God. Atheist means without God. The person who claims to be an atheist is saying that I have explored every avenue of every dimension, and I have found that there is no God. This is what an atheist would be saying. And an agnostic We've all met them. Agnostic, A meaning what, saints? Without, and gnos meaning knowledge. This is where an agnostic means without knowledge. This is where we get the word moron. (laughs) 
So if a person says, I'm an agnostic, they are saying, I know nothing and I'm a moron. Well, you know, I'm an agnostic. Oh, okay, well, then you know nothing and you're a moron. What you talking about, man? No, I'm just saying by definition, that's what you said. I'm just repeating what you said. That's all. I mean, don't hit me. That, that's all. Don't get violent. I'm just telling you what you said. You just said you know nothing and that you're a moron. The fact is, if you don't believe in God, then you have to suppress the knowledge of God. The women are going through the book of Romans right now. And in the book of Romans, it says just that, that those who don't believe in God refuse to believe in God because they suppress the knowledge of God. The truth is, is that God reveals himself to every person, period. What about the pygmies in Africa? God reveals himself to them. Don't worry about the pygmies in Africa. What about you? How do you know that, Rodney? Because the Bible says that God reveals himself in nature, for the visible things are clearly seen. So when you look at a tree, no, the tree isn't God. But when you look at the tree, you have to understand that the tree came from somewhere. That, that if there is a creation, there must be a creator. If you got a watch, there has to be a watchmaker. You got some shoes, there must be a shoemaker, a cobbler. The shoe didn't just show up. Say amen if you know what I'm talking about. It didn't just show up. You got to have a creator behind every creation. And for you to reject that means you are suppressing the knowledge of God. The reality is just because you don't believe in God does not mean that God does not exist. And so you don't believe in God. Hey, God is, look around. Look at the mountains. How can you stand on the beach? How can you stand on the beach and not know and not say, wow. Hey, look at that. That's amazing. That's awesome. How are you going to stand at the foot of the mountain and look up and go, wow. What kind of sense did it make? You look up at the mountain and go, wow. I'm so glad you just created yourself. Wow. I'm so glad the sea just showed up. Wow, look at my family. I'm sure glad they came from primordial ooze. Well, I don't know, maybe some of them. But some of y'all probably wonder, where did you come from? How does it happen? Because you suppress the knowledge of God. Enough of that. Look at verse 10. The queen because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke saying, O king, live forever. Everybody's always buttering up the king. Don't let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. That's a way to say that Daniel, that's what we're talking about, was filled with the spirit. He was a man of God. And in the days of your father, that word actually is ancestor, ancestor, family members. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him, it almost sounds like she's saying, your father, your father the real king. You know, the, the, he's a real king. Uh, made him chief of the magicians and the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers, inasmuch as an excellent spirit 
Knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will give you the understanding. So the queen, this queen is the queen mother. She's not uh, uh, Nabonidus' wife. Uh, she's the, 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 the queen mother. She's the daughter of King Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar's grandfather. We talked about that. Now, remember in chapter four, this is kind of interesting here. Remember in chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar realized that there was one true and living God in heaven and he became a believer. It is very possible, very possible, because this, this woman is, is his daughter. Very possible that this daughter became a worshiper of God also. You want to notice she wasn't at that party. She wasn't at the party. And not only that, but she was also still in contact with Daniel. So it's very possible that she also, because remember Nebuchadnezzar was trying to turn the kingdom around until Nebuchadnezzar came and tried to make it pagan again. And for a little while he did, but he died. We'll find out. And so it's very possible that she became a believer. She remembered Daniel and she said, listen, Bell, there's a man in the kingdom. His name is Daniel. And your grandfather used him to interpret dreams. She says, why don't you give him a call and bring him in? And so they call for Daniel. Daniel comes in. Daniel was about 85 or 90 years old about this time. Isn't it interesting to you? I know it is to me. Whenever the world, you know, generally the world doesn't want to hear anything about Christians, God, or anything, you know, related to Christianity, until something tragic happens. Isn't that true? When something tragic happens, then people want to call upon God or fill up the churches. Remember 9-11? 9-11, the churches across the country were filled with people. And that lasted for about three weeks. We saw attendance go from here, from here at Calvary, from here to here. And I knew it. I thought, you know what, just give it about three, four weeks. We'll see. And sure enough, three, four weeks later, you know, people forget so quickly. But when tragedy strikes, what happens? People want to call upon God. Belshazzar, he has a tragedy now. What does he want to do? He, he needs to call upon God. And, and, and the queen mother comes in and says, hey, get Daniel. Get Daniel. It's true in your life as a Christian, true in my life. How, how many times have people, you know, um, you know, it makes me think when I was in the military, I remember people used to mock me because I, I was one of those guys that carried my Bible everywhere I went. I always had my Bible. I keep my Bible in my car. The Bible said, hey, this is the sword of the spirit. OK, if I get in battle, I need to have a sword with me because when you're in the midst of the battle, there's no time to go run and get your Bible. You need to have it available. So I always thought that way. And I was in the military, too. So I just took my whole military mentality right on into my Christian life. You know what I mean? I was a soldier for Jesus, you know? And so, you know, so I always had my Bible with me and people used to mock me all the time. Oh, don't talk about so-and-so. Here come Rodney. You know what I mean? Oh, well, you know, they, oh, they are cursed and they go, oh, excuse me, Mr. Religious Man is around. You know what I mean? And then after a while, you know, they, they actually, I remember they gave me, a, uh, they used to call me Deacon. They, you know, deacon, they gave me a nickname then, which actually I thought I wasn't insulted. I thought I was growing in respect personally. You know what I mean? I mean, look, hey, it used to be, you know, Christian freak 
person, and then it went to deacon. So I was graduating in their minds, I guess. And um, so people, you know, they want to mock you, and they want to mock God, and and those kinds of things. When tragedy happens, they they come to you and they say, "Hey, why don't you pray for me? Would you pray for me?" Hey, my mom is sick. You want to, you know, hey, Rodney, you know, hey, Deacon, you got, you know, you got a relationship with the man upstairs, big kahuna. You know, would you uh, mind, uh, you know, throwing up a word for me? You know what I mean? You know, I go, sure, man, no problem. I'm glad to do it. But see, when tragedy strikes, people call upon the true and living God. And I believe that God has seasons for people. I really do. I believe God has seasons for people to come to know him. And God, you know what? I call this divine setups. God is always setting folks up. They, they don't realize it. I mean, how many people got saved and, and you didn't even know you were getting saved, but now that you look back, you think, man, God was setting me up the whole time. God was setting me up. I ran into this guy here and he talked about Jesus. And then I saw him again and he's talking about Jesus. Then I saw him again. You know, two weeks later, he's talking about, see, God was setting me up. Until that one night he said, hey, come go to church with me. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.